Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Chris Wolf, and joining me this week, our regular roundtable, higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, our station manager, Peter Jay, and my co-host, Nick Remesong. The presidential election campaign is heating up. It's 17 months away, but the field is starting to get crowded. We have three Democrats, or four if you count the TV Tiger King, Joe Exotic. But today we'll be focusing primarily, excuse the pun, on the Republican side, at least in the first part of our conversation. The GOP has 14 declared candidates and more pending. Ten of them are considered serious, meaning they have already attracted major news coverage, significant contributions, or have previously been elected to high office. At the head of the pack, of course, is Donald Trump, who is consistently attracting around 50% of Republicans sampled in opinion polls. Ron DeSantis is the only other standout. The 44-year-old governor of Florida has been getting a solid 20 to 30% in polling. But a lot can happen in the 12 months until the GOP primary. So let's open the conversation by looking at the front runner, Donald Trump. It wasn't so long ago that he was uncontested, but and it seemed inconceivable that anyone would declare to run against him from within his own party. And yet here we are in a flooded field. What happened? Yes. Uh, what happened? Uh, well, this is what is it? Shades of 2016. There were 17 Republicans, I think, the first time that Trump ran. And I I liken this one to a great movie line out of The Godfather when Brando was attacked on the street. And the line is, 16 shots and he's still alive. And that describes how it went with Trump. (laughs) David Letterman said it best, you know, (laughs) nobody wanted the circus to leave town. Um, (laughs) But the, the net of it is he systematically one by one, divined who was the greatest threat among the field. And as long as you keep on chopping off the head of the snake, keep on chopping off the ability of the leader in that pack to take you on, then you've got control. It was a brilliant strategy, and he just kept on knocking them off. You know, little Marco, crooked Hillary, right down the line, he had something to brand, counterbrand every opponent. And, you know, they fell like ducks at the carnival, you know, in front of a sharpshooter. And uh, he, he just sat there. And as as we got closer and closer to primary day, you know, our eyes are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And he's really going to do this. OMG. Um, and then he moved into the general. This is already repeating, obviously, with De Sanctimonious. Um, and I'm sure he's going to develop ways of attacking others. So I... <laughs> It's, but I'm it's not amazing sure. what's going to happen. It's just, you know, it's a repeat. <laughs> but I'm not sure it's going to be as effective this time. 
Maybe. Uh, as it was the first time. The first time it was not only the circus, it was a novelty, and they had all of the wonderful uh, distractions and uh, comments. And <clears throat> it, it, it seems to me that for part of the electorate anyway, the part that is looking for reason and issues and policies, that Trump is going to be probably the greatest distraction away mm -hmm. from that for the Republican field. And then they're going to feel the tendency to want to go down that path. But here's what my prediction is. Trump is going to end up indicted. Mm -hmm. He's going to say that this is all a witch hunt. That pesky indictment. Yeah. And there are going to be uh, all kinds of opportunities for him to fundraise over this which he will do. Keep the grift going. And the other candidates are going to be like deer in the headlights, and they're not going to know how to respond. So they'll keep on, in most instances, either with the show that is calling each other names or with uh, a, a handful probably trying to be serious. But yet they'll be ignored because they're not putting on a good show when they're trying mm -hmm. to be serious. Yeah, no entertainment. What you know, these 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 uh pesky issues discussions, what's that about? <laughs> why are yeah. we why are we why are we trying to yeah. actually talk about anything that makes sense? Uh, yeah, I'm interested how how did he because at one point he seemed to be infallible and unchallengeable and yet somehow that cloak fell away and everyone I don't know did the GOP suddenly decide he has no clothes or or what? Because it's it's interesting, you know, that we've gone from like nobody wanting to put their head out, uh, and then suddenly there's a swarm of people. It, 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 I guess I'm thinking this is perhaps as a sign of hope that people have come to their senses somewhat. Uh, at least uh, uh, maybe fifty percent of the Republicans. I think this is a casino play, and I think Dr. Mike hit it on the head. Somewhere in the next year, Trump is going to be wounded by legal process. He's going to be cast for who he is and how that plays out. We don't know. But if indictments stick and he and, and the timing is going to be everything and anybody entering the field now, if they can survive in the field long enough to watch the king self-immolate on his own, then everybody, including all of the Trump fan folks are going to have to figure out who in the field they want to get behind when he's no longer available. So so I think Dr. Mike makes a point. This this field has a much more volatile set of background winds that will affect the front runner. And I think that's where everyone else's hope lies. And I think some people are going to play into that, like Chris Christie. Chris Christie, I don't believe, has any realistic expectations of becoming the president. He ran before. He knows what his numbers were before. Obviously, he's been a regular fixture on the Sunday morning pressers through ABC. He is, I think, one smart guy who understands how to do TV. And I think he is in there basically as a Trump killer. That's going to be his goal. Take down Trump. Uh, what does that buy him? Well, you know, whoever does come out of this on top might want to consider him to be the VP. And that's a discussion that doesn't happen very often among the pundits. Who on that stage of 14 is actually running for the vice president's office? That's a big, big question that right now has too much distraction in front of it. 
you know, trying to understand the upper layer, but the under layer, the subtext is who's running for VP. And I think on that question, uh, Pete, you know, we haven't had uh, a woman president in this uh, in this group of 14. I think only Nikki Haley. Is there another woman who has announced that's it for the moment? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's important. And I wouldn't want to peg her for VP because she's a woman. Unfortunately, though, you know, she has the credentials from having Absolutely. been a UN. She Absolutely. has she represents sort of a diversity of the U.S. sort of immigrant mm-hmm. experience and other experiences. So, you know, she she may be a good good choice for VP. I would love for more women to step in. And the, R- the RNC, are- I, I think the RNC would definitely support her as a choice because they weigh in on this, obviously. And you're absolutely right. I do. I do want to talk a little bit about Mike Pence, right? I, I mm-hmm. sort of read that it's historic. He's the first, you know, vice president to challenge sort of his president. And is that... You know, what will happen, Mike, in terms of, uh, not Mike, Michael Walker-Jones, uh, what do you think in terms of how, what role he will play in any of the legal? Like, you know, is he going to jump in and say, yes, I witnessed firsthand this person be unethical? You know, like, how much do you think he's going to lean into that being the VP under a president who later is indicted for something else? But do you think he's going to bring up other issues? Like, I'm I'm curious about how he might benefit from this. I mean, he's already considered a, a pariah among the, you know, um, MAGA sort of folks. But yeah, what, what's your view, Michael? You know, you hit on a very, very important topic in terms of Pence and his ability to uh, really sort of shoot back at at, mm. at Trump. And I'll tell you, if he hasn't started it yet, but if he doesn't start it within the next week, mm-hmm. uh, then he's going to lose the opportunity. I mean, if I were him, I'd come out swinging saying the reason mm-hmm. that I'm running for president is because I've seen this guy up close. I know and the rest not of the pretty. <laughs> and uh, I'm the only person here who really understands what it is that you mm-hmm. are suffering uh, and I'm the one who's going to be honest because believe me, folks, I've seen the other guy up close. He's not honest. Okay. Uh, he is a, uh, he is a person who you can't trust him in a room with your daughters. I mean, I would, if I were Pence, I would absolutely try to, at this point, go ahead and pull the guy apart piece by piece, limb by limb at the same time, touting the fact that I was the one who. Uh, 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 the wall of reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm the one who kept the whole thing together. And, but Mm -hmm. for me, January 6th could have been this, I'd really be all over him, but I don't think any of those candidates have the courage, nor do I think they have the staff who can understand that particular strategy against a, what I would call a, you know, a grifter, uh, a liar, uh, a person who's already shown that he has no no moral or ethical compass, and these folks are still, I think, all uh, all of them are going to try to play it as though it were a normal election, <laughs> except for possibly DeSantis. But then I don't think DeSantis really has the uh, uh, has the gravitas, nor mm. does he really have his state behind him, and he's going to find that out soon. But Natalia, that's a great point. Pence is probably the one who ought to be leapfrogging over everybody by pointing the guns directly at Trump. Uh, my recommendation would be my recommendation would be that he put down the pellet gun and get out the Colt forty-five. 
Well, I'm not sure he, uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure he needs, uh, you know, one of the long rifles and stuff with a 50 cal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if he's going to do it, he's got to do it. Here's the yeah. problem. His broadcast training and also so many of the politicians on the stage suffer from civility. They want to take down Trump. And at the same time, they don't want to be Trump. They don't want to be that out of the box bombast crazy person that, you know, that they're running against. Trump has no problem being, you know, out there. And the out there element of what he does is the thing that keeps his fan base loyal. They love the theater. They love the drama. They love the fact that he is who he is. And I, I talked about this before. He is not a politician. Thus, civility is not necessary. He is a celebrity. He is a celebrity that owns a de facto third party. And when you have, I mean, look at past third parties we've had, you know, Ralph Nader, you know, you name the third party of your choice over the past decades, you know, they'd all be down in the low single digits. You know, they poll two, three, four percent. There were discussions years ago about Nader being a spoiler in the party, running as a uh, in the election, being a person pulling four percent. What happens when a third party guy has 15 to 20 percent? And I'm referring to Trump now as that because he's on his own wavelength, doing his own thing. The MAGA movement is really a third party wrapped in Republican clothing. And therefore, the Republicans in general, the old RNC, is infected with this insidious third party stuck to them. Uh, and and it is a dynamic that nobody knows how to deal with. There is not a politician out there that is prepared to go up against hardcore reality TV celebrity that is all emotion and no logic, logic not required. So it's going to be tough even for Mike Pence. If Mike Pence and Chris Christie teamed up together to, to go after Trump deliberately with the idea that that's their main mission, presidential ambition being secondary, even then, I don't think that they have the stuff to take him down. But now comes the question, will he show up on the debate stage? He has to. Why would you think that he wouldn't? I mean... Well, he's already made claims that he, quote, may not bother. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. But, but you know, that's, again, more empty speak, more word salad from him about, you know, what his attitude is. But at the end of the day, he knows that if he doesn't get on the debate stage, he's denying himself the oxygen he so desperately craves. Let's flip the conversation a moment. Natalia, you ran on the Democratic ticket for uh, Brooklyn School Committee recently, so definitely not a prospective voter in the primaries. But I wonder, from a Democratic point of view, who would you like to be fighting against next year? That's a great question. And before we jump to the Democrats, uh, since Pete talked about third parties, I do want to give a shout out to, you know, um, Dr. Cornell West, who has stepped in as a progressive scholar uh, again. And I bring this up because last night in town meeting um, in Brooklyn, I'm a town meeting member, we voted on uh, ranked choice voting and, you know, this idea of spoilers and who, and I'm sure that will come up a lot um, in this presidential election. And, you know, whatever you think of Cornell West, he's an impressive, you know, speaker, thought leader. Mm -hmm. I don't think he actually, you know, will have a chance because of our political system. But part of me wishes that we did have ranked choice voting or some way in which um, 
third party candidates, people like, I don't know if it's Ralph Nader or Cornel West or even Senator Bernie Sanders, you know, mm -hmm. and also for the more, you know, Trump, you know, as you said, is that considered a another another sort of political system? Like, would that give us a little bit more of, you know, not requiring us to think through the question that you just asked, Chris, about who would do best against, say, a Trump? You know, I think it's difficult right now to there's like two mental games that we need to think about who will do best against a Trump versus who would do best against, say, a more policy oriented. And mm -hmm. the, the answer might be different. And I don't know if it's too soon to sort of game that system. And obviously, President Biden, you know, I think has the momentum and the full support. I I do know that some people are are questioning his age. I don't think that's fair um, in the sense of physical mobility, you know, is not something, you know, we want people who have physical, say, you know, if you have a disability and you're in a wheelchair, that shouldn't preclude you from running for president. And similarly, if old age is having physical manifestations, it's when, and if we worry about sort of the decision-making or the intellectual ones, and I haven't seen any evidence of that. Mm. Uh, yes, he sometimes misspeaks, but, you know, for someone who has had a stutter his entire life, I think that is not a sign of age-related challenges, but really just the reality of, of living with a stutter. And so, um, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't know what Michael thinks about kind of, do we even entertain the idea of having someone other than President Biden continue is, uh, is I think a big question. Oh yeah. You know, let me jump on that with both feet. Uh, first off, let me say that uh, as the person who convinced me that ranked choice voting uh, is a viable alternative, Natalia. Uh, you know, I want to say I'd love to see uh, that kind of political system applied uh, at the uh, in our national politics as well as in our statewide politics uh, and local politics. And uh, for those of you who don't know what ranked choice voting is, uh, please thumb through our library of uh, uh, of programs here. We did one on that, and I think we. Uh, uh, it's a nice little treatise on, uh, on how mm -hmm. it works. Yes. Uh, and at some point we may want to revisit that again to talk about, you know, should that be something that even, uh, we've got a democratic convention coming up and it's a, uh, uh, it's basically a platform convention. Uh, and Natalia, you've also put the thought in my head that maybe we ought to go to that convention. Uh, with the thought that as part of our platform as Democrats, we ought to stand behind and start promoting uh, ranked choice voting for Massachusetts. Now, that being said, as listeners to this program also know, too, uh, even though I'm a staunch Democrat, I believe that we need more than two political parties uh, and have for some time now. And I'm not sure, uh, Pete, that, uh, that Trump is really presenting a third party as much as a co-opt of the uh, uh, of the shell of what used to be the Republican Party. It's hard mm -hmm. to tell. I'm not sure that the other 13 candidates that are out there are actually Republicans as much as Trump really owns the party at this point. He does under the moniker of Republican. So it's those other candidates that ought to be thinking about, really, should I be here or should I be independent? And it's unfortunate, too, that I think, Pete, you hit it right on the head. Uh, you know, all of these other 13 people are going to try to, uh, mo for the most part, be civil 
mm-hmm. and Natalia, I think that goes to your point as well, that, you know, what is it that they're going to be talking about? Uh, because policy is not going to cut it, unfortunately. So, again, back to your point about Pence, what I would do, again, if I were any of these other candidates, just come out swinging. You know, I mean, trying to talk about, for example, uh, at this point uh, with Trump, trying to, and you know that all the Republicans are going to avoid the issue of abortion, but let's talk about uh, health care. Mm. Mm. Uh, I don't think any of them are going to go back to the days of, oh, let's get rid of Obamacare. I think they may have learned that lesson. I don't know. They tried we'll killing it three times and failed. It, well, it was more than three. It mm-hmm. was uh, <laughs> a large number. <laughs> and mm-hmm. every single time they fail and uh, bless his heart and rest his soul. Uh, you know, thank you for uh, uh, our good friend from and deceased from Arizona who who went into the well of the Senate and stuff and voted thumbs down on trying to kill Obamacare. Thank you, and, John. Yep. Uh, yeah. And it seems to me that one of the uh, real uh, pieces that we're going to have to be careful about is whether or not we as Democrats get caught up in expecting from our politicians uh, this came the same kind of vitriolic finger pointing at, at the Republicans, or do we, uh, which I think we should do, run on and continue to support the record of Biden and our current uh, our current congressional delegation of Democrats, because there, uh, if if the Republicans really do what they need to do in order to attack Trump, and I think all of them ought to train their train their sights on Trump. There's so much to really sort of beat him up over, you know. Then in the background, we ought to stay the course. Talk about infrastructure, talk about the bipartisan nature of Biden and his ability to bring people together. Talk about the uh, uh, the fact that we have held the line on trying to make sure that the American safety net is there. Uh, we have held the line in terms of resisting what the Fed keeps on trying to kill, which is our economy. And the economy keeps going, uh, not necessarily in uh, in terms of really sort of stopping inflation, but much of, and again, when you get into the detail of it, we Democrats ought to be uh, shouting from the rooftops that the inflation that we're suffering is in many ways artificial. And I can get into that later. But I think the point that that I'll end with here is that the Republicans, in my opinion, need to really start to train their train their uh their ire toward Trump call him out for all of the things that he is uh call him a liar to his face when he lies don't try to be civil about it uh you can always be civil later because at the end of the day it's really is who's the last person standing and as an extension of that and calling him out what would some other republican DeSantis or whatnot say to refer to trump in the same way that he refers to everyone else is he tricky trump is he you know they would have to brand they would have to counter brand him in some nasty way the way that he does with everyone else and so yeah i think it's pretty simple pete you you know you say listen you know here's a guy who was uh found to be a sex uh, a sex predator 
by a jury of his peers. Here's a guy who pays off prostitutes in terms of, uh, you know, trying to keep their story uh, out of the public. Here's a guy who basically uh, is not a family person. You don't see him with his family. Here's a guy who's a liar. Okay. And, you know, again, you build the whole little wrap around each one of those and just keep hammering it every single day. You can't just do that once. You've got to do that every single day. And again, similar to what Reagan did. Oh, there he goes again. That guy, you know, there he (laughs) goes again, man. I mean, he's lying to the American people. I hope you folks are really paying attention this time. Mm hmm. Pregnant pause there, you know, yep, yep, uh, yep, yep. and, uh, you know, and I hope you don't fall trapped to his grift because he's taking your money. Ask him what he's doing with it. What is he doing with your money? Okay. He's paying off his attorneys. That's what he's doing with you, with mm-hmm. your money. I'd be on his case every single day with the same old rap. What do you and guys I agree, think? I agree with Michael that the family values, like if this is a is a party of family values and respect and, you know, like he is not living up to those values that supposedly are so central to the party. You know, I'm not that conservative in, in many ways, but I'm even shocked by some of the things that, you know, I, I hear he has done. And Chris, I, I'm just going to jump back to your sort of Democratic Party candidate question. I mean, I think I'm very, very troubled by uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Mm. being in the race from a public health perspective. You know, he is a known anti-vaxxer. He is going to try and build on that name. The Kennedy name is a, you know, is a powerful name, but he his values, his positions on things. I, I'm sort of, you know, again, back to third party candidates. Like, I don't understand how he identifies as a Democrat for some of the things that he um, believes in and talks about. And I, I think it's dangerous from, you know, because coming out of COVID, there has been a rise in this anti-vax movement and, you know, kind of voting around that, that he's really going to lean into that. And mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, as a public health person, I just wanted to warn that his candidacy may cause public health harm uh, for for a while, not just in the short term, but in the long term. His candidacy may also harm uh, Biden's chances if he siphons off enough interest on the Democratic side. So, I mean, he has to be eliminated soundly and quickly and well before the Democratic primary is done with. Um, and I think, I, I hope that that happens. You know, it's for the Democrats, he's going to be the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving, just like, you know, the Republicans have their share of crazy uncles and aunts at Thanksgiving. You know, way back when, when Carly Fiorina was ranting on the stage about selling baby parts and other things that were just absolutely incredulous uh, during the 2016 Republican primary. And there were other people out there that were pretty strange trying to use bombast, you know, to to garner interest, but they couldn't pull it off quite like the Don did. And at the end of the day, uh, if the Democrats can keep the field relatively clean and also eliminate people like RFK Jr. quickly, as being outliers that don't matter, then it should hopefully be pretty clear sailing for Biden. And RFK may be eliminated, you know, between Iowa and New Hampshire. And, you know, before we even get to things like a Super Tuesday, he'll, I think he'll be irrelevant. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right on the terms of the Democratic nomination. But I do worry, you know, so here's my big concern about Biden 
And uh, speaking as an independent, I think a lot of independents are, you know, they're not so going to support the Republicans, but I worry that enough of independents might hesitate about voting for a man who's going to be 87 by the time he finishes his second term, if he's elected. And I just think, you know, um, while we all love and treasure our seniors who are still active, mm-hmm. it's that's a tough challenge for any human body uh, to handle. So I think, you know, that's that's the big danger for Democrats is that um, independents will will hesitate about supporting him, um, at least uh, in, enthusiastically. I think I think the idea of supporting him would probably have more gain to it. And no one talks about the fact that should he not complete his second term of office, it would become President Harris. And for all of Kamala Harris's qualities, one thing that she has difficulty mustering on stage is charisma, emotional charisma. It's difficult for people, for reasons I can't identify, to say that would be great, and and that she needs to she needs to generate a comfort factor that says if Biden proves incapable, passes away, call it what you will, that we are in good hands, we are in good stead, and that the Democratic Party has it, um, and and so uh, even Biden quietly had admitted at one point about a year ago that he considered her to be a work in progress, and so they both have to run, and she has to run strong with him. And if there are political advisors, which I once was, who would guide them well, it's going to be finding a way to put some luster on both of them uh, to shore up the entire team, not just shore up Biden. And and that has to be done with a lot of emotion to to give it the legs that it needs to really work. Yeah, I do worry that um, like the Roman Empire stayed at peace when the emperor clearly designated a successor. And there mm-hmm. was absolutely a very visible, publicly known person who had their own accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Um, and But with Kamala, I just, just feel like she's invisible. Like she's not, shouldn't the machine, the Democratic Party machine, be putting her out there to to generate some visibility to and credibility uh, with the public? I think that would give some, some reassurance to those Humanity. independents. Humanity. Uh, right. It's always about humanity at the end of the day. How do we convert her into Princess Di? That's or, a big uh, question. Princess, uh, what's the one? Kate now seems very popular. Yeah, that's right. And, and that's the drill. If you could convert her at that level, it's not about thinking that she can do the job. It's just about really, really liking Sally Field. You like me. You really, really like me. Uh, <laughs> how do we generate that? And And so... It's going to be a real challenge because, you know, that is the democratic issue that's lurking in the wings of this theater that isn't being addressed, I think, fully. Yeah, I would agree uh, that Kamala is probably uh, still a work in progress. Um, And it's unfortunate because I think there were some high profile things that were thrown her way. Yes. Um, and yet they didn't come to fruition. Uh, went, the border crisis. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, to name one, another it's like they one, put her on, put on some death runs. Yeah. Uh, the abortion issue. Mm. I think she did better at that one. Um, uh, 
the uh, the idea that uh, there are some, uh, uh, I think, and we may have forgotten it, but she was also put in charge of uh, uh, of the unification uh, around support for African nations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and again, that kind of fell short. I'm I am somewhat uh, I am somewhat uh, concerned. Again, that this issue is going to come up, Pete. It's going to come mm-hmm. up. Yep. And when it comes up, uh, the question is: Are the Democrats and uh, you know, are Kamala and and Joe ready for it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I hope they are. I hope they are. Uh, and I hope she takes a level of because uh, one of the one of the knocks against her in the in the Democratic circles centers around the fact that it's hard to tell whether she's serious or not because she mm-hmm. is in many instances uh almost like everything is a joke and that is not appealing to a lot of folks so it, it does come back to you know your humanity your empathy your mm-hmm. ability and joe seems to have that sort of space he knows uh, that that ability to to sort of parse his his personality and hit the right notes Mm-hmm. or the right group and at the right time and and Kamala doesn't seem to have that ability there was but one guy we'll locally there was one guy locally who was legendary at exactly that uh in Massachusetts politics and that was Tip O'Neill everywhere he went it was all about charisma it was all about oh tips here you know from from one thing to another and and he summed it up he you know and I've brought this up before he said people like to be asked People like to be thanked. Yes. And that's what he did. And yeah. over and over again, his retail politics were brilliant because the cameras would capture that. You know, here's a big guy in Washington, you know, milling with the little people, and they are enthralled talking to him. And and that moment was always the thing that would show up on on the you know on the news bites. And it made him, you know, a giant in Massachusetts politics. Yeah. Also, I mean, it, you go down on the Cape now into a number of watering holes that yeah. uh, uh, that Tip used to frequent, and they still talk about him. Absolutely, they still absolutely. talk about him. I mean, absolutely. I mean, as if it was yesterday. Oh yeah, I remember when Tip came in and he ordered that. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that Guinness, and he sat there, and oh my goodness, and then he started he held, waxing eloquent about this, and yeah, held court. And, he held court. Yeah. Right. Uh, my mother really <laughs> loved him. My mother That's loved right. him and stuff. My dad thought the world of him and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we haven't had that opportunity for Kamala yet. Mm. Uh, and and there are places, again, too, in Delaware and in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, you go and they talk about Joe and his ice mm-hmm. cream. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah, the the ability to come across as just a regular person. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, is important for a politician, and uh, so we will see. We will see, but it 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 will get nasty, I believe. Yeah, back in 2016, I was I was sort of handicapping. Uh, actually, when when Joe was running, and before he had made his VP announcement, I was handicapping. All right, who on the Democratic stage is up there with him? Because I figured, you know, going back to my earlier premise that. There are a number of candidates on the stage on either side who are actually running for the VP slot. They know they're not going to be the president, but if they can garner enough points and enough interest, they're going to be there. Recall when Obama and Biden were on stage. 
I'd mentioned that there was kind of this quiet love fest going on between the two of them. And sure enough, Obama was wise enough to know that, number one, you know, Obama was re realized that Biden wasn't really attacking him. He was very genteel about that and that the two of them would mm -hmm. come together on stage in some type of reasonable agreement while they were debating their positions for being president. And at the end of the day, there was a backdoor discussion, no doubt, that Biden would become the VP under Obama. And so that was all, I think, pretty well orchestrated. Uh, this time around, I thought it was going to be Biden and Amy Klobuchar. I yes. really thought Amy Klobuchar was going to end up being the VP. Yeah. Uh, she had the right stuff. She was like him. She was certainly well qualified. And on stage, she could do the same thing he did. There was a marvelous, marvelous speech that she gave during her debate, which I've quoted before. People were lined up along the railroad tracks while the presidential funeral train rolled by. Somebody turned to a local farmer and said, did you know him? The farmer said, no, but he knew me. Amy looked in the camera and said, I know you. Yeah. That yeah. was a big moment. Absolutely. That was the kind of thing that Kamala needs to master. Well, she had that one moment. And I think this is what actually got her into the vice presidency was the one moment when she sparkled at that. And it's unfortunate that she doesn't have that. Uh, and I think looking back on it now, I think we can assess that it was a planned moment. In other mm -hmm. words, it was scripted. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Klobuchar's may have been scripted, but she's got a lot of those. That's right. And unfortunately, yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, Kamala, I think, had this one scripted moment. And it was the one when she talked about the desegregation and how Biden had waffled on that and how he had eventually followed in the footsteps of those people who were mm -hmm. um, into the busing and moving kids out of their neighborhood. And then she described this little girl who and then she turns to him and looks at him and right. says, that little girl was me. Mm, and that was the moment when people go, oh, my goodness, she's got some moxie. Yeah, she took him right <laughs> yeah. on and goes. It was on a great moment. This. Yeah. But unfortunately, it was the only one. <laughs> it was the only one and stuff she came up with. All right. But based on that, I think. And then, uh, I mean, she got the media riled up for days after that. Oh, that's right. Uh, that's you know, right. Harris attacks Biden and stuff. OK, quiets him, blah, 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 on and on. Uh, and she needs to have more of those, uh, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Uh, right. between now and the primaries and, uh, you know, especially, and again, when she was railing about the abortion issue, for example, mm -hmm. you, you know, that's one of those moments too, where either you have a personal story or you have people that I know you kind of mm -hmm. moment, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I know these people. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and here's what the Supreme court has done. And we need to state by state dismantle, you know, you know, that retrenchment or that going back mm. in history and putting remnant right. risk and, you know, on and on, uh, you know, so, you know, and I will say this too, as a person who's worked a lot of political campaigns, some of this do does come down to staffing as well, mm. because you've got to have writers who mm -hmm. understand you and then also some handlers who also know how 
to get you at a proper moment and stuff to be ready to be serious. How to inject poetry into a legal argument. That's the challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is that the life filter, and this is an interesting concept, the life filter of a politician usually has a strong legal background. And therefore, their training, their mental training, is to create case logic. Right. Case, lo- case logic doesn't do it. Right. How do you convert that into poetry? How do you convert that into something that touches people in a very visceral way? And that was also, by the way, talking about Amy Klobuchar, who, who obviously uh, used it to great effect, uh, there was an unguarded moment for Hillary. If we flash back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, when oh, yeah. a, woman, a woman asked, how do you do it? And she just paused and she stopped being Hillary, capital H. Yeah. Yeah. She gave the woman a very unguarded, honest answer. And I watched her numbers just jump through the roof the next morning. Yeah. Suddenly it was, it was, it was a whole new field. It was, it was, it was an experience that reflected itself instantly and it went viral and then it vanished because she didn't know what she did. Yeah, exactly. She and again, lost, the, she lost the moment that goes back to staffing. And I got to yeah. tell you, plus you're right about the politician. I happen to have known Bill Clinton, both as governor when I worked in Arkansas and mm-hmm. as a presidential candidate and as president. And let me tell you, one of the one of the qualities that you cannot you can't create in a politician, but one of the qualities is this instant ability to empathize Mm -hmm. and bill clinton was one of the few politicians that i've run into in my career who instantly could grab your hand touch your touch your your elbow Mm -hmm. and hold you for maybe three or four seconds stare into your eyes and then ask you how are you doing And you knew he was, or at least it came across as sincere. And here's a guy who really is asking me, how am I doing? And I can't tell you how many times I've observed him. I can't tell you how many times I have observed him uh, use that to his advantage. And then people walk away starry eyed. Mm. I mean, they used to, they used to say he had his big ears on. Yeah. (laughs) He would, in other words, he could demonstrate to anyone in the moment that he was really, really locked on you and listening to you. You were the most yes. important person in that moment. Yes. Just like O'Neill, he had mastered the idea oh. that you mean something to me. And there's another quality he has, but this comes with his intelligence and his brilliance uh, that I don't see in any of the politicians standing up today. But he had a memory that was like a mm. steel bear trap when it when it when it latched on to something mm-hmm. he could remember it in the face of all of the waves of things that you know a politician or uh an elected official goes through on a day-to-day basis mm. right uh, and for example and let me give you a personal example uh, Bill Clinton met my oldest daughter when she was 12 years old, uh, in a grocery store in, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas. He was mm-hmm. out shopping. We had just been out playing tennis, my little daughter and I, and when we, and when we, uh, 
were in the store, I pointed out uh, Governor Clinton to her and I walked over, introduced her uh, to Clinton. And she had asked me already, uh, why was he by himself? And I said, hey, you've got a question you wanted to ask the governor. And she was all shy. And I said, go ahead, ask him. And so she turns to him and says, why are you out here by yourself? Now, her implication was that he didn't have any security guards, you know, or anything around. Mm -hmm. Uh, but here's the way he answered it. He says, oh, well, because, uh, uh, Chelsea and Hillary didn't want to come with me. (laughs) (laughs) And it just floored my daughter because again, she was was thinking more about, you know, uh, you, you know, the, uh, you know, the pop and circumstance of being right, governor right, and, right, you right. Know, and, uh, you know, and security. And yet he answered her on just a very personal, uh, familial basis. Oh yeah. You know, my wife and daughter didn't want to come with me. So here I am out here by myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, and I'm hoping, uh, even though he hasn't demonstrated it yet, but I'm, there's a possibility that when I go back to South Carolina, I'll be able to see, uh, Scott, Senator Scott, mm. uh, uh, at an event, and I hope to sort of get a gauge on him uh, because, interestingly enough, we didn't talk about it, but he's the only person of color mm-hmm. uh, on the Republican side, and he may be vying again as well for a vice presidential slot. Uh, that's I, going I to think. Be I think we've got. Done, um, I think uh, he's a Nikki good Haley candidate in both a slots. Yeah, person absolutely. of color as well, being of yeah. uh, Indian. Uh, immigrant parents. Oh, that's descent. true. That's true. And then there's a, another bad. chap, an entrepreneur, also of Indian descent, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, mm. and um, Tim Scott. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you're right. Thank you for the correction. I. I uh, no, but it's. Know, um, I stand. I stand corrected. It does raise um, a difficult question for me. In you know, so that is for people of uh, color, but I, uh, you know. Given the not so subtle racism that's been oozing from the GOP over the last decade, how is it mm. even possible, you know, for people of color to not only support the GOP but um, to actively run for office under their ticket? That's a great question. That 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 silence actually uh, that deserved that silence because mm. there is no answer from from where I sit, Chris. In my humble opinion. Uh, uh, it's hard to recognize that, but there are people who, uh, who, uh, of color who do share some of their philosophical passions, some of their cultural passions. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it raises questions in my mind, but they have the right and the ability as, as citizens to, you know, to think their way. And it's, and it's beyond me, and because I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that everyone has to, uh, uh, all of us as people of color, all have to think alike. Uh, but it is hard to imagine what it is that they're finding or what it is that they see in that kind of value structure. But I can't answer that. I don't know. I would. I think one good interesting exercise is name a candidate on the stage, and and. Put upon them a single word to describe them, and I'll I'll give you two of them, and you guys can weigh in on the same ones. Uh, Ron DeSantis, petulant. If there's a word that, that describes his mannerism, his speech, he always seems to be decrying some issue, 
with some degree of almost childish petulance uh, on the cultural side. So petulance is a word I associate with him in a very visceral way. Uh, getting back to Tim Scott, enthusiasm. I think I think he brings something to the stage that's going to resonate. I think I, I'm not counting him out at all. And, and so I, I think he's going to be a player. Haley, I haven't figured out yet. Not sure what's there. Opportunistic. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a you know, that's a good place to go. Asa Hutchins. Throwback. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, Chris Christie. Villain. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 But also I would I would say smart. The man yeah. is smart. Um, yes. And and so he he is going to be a, I, I think he's got a real opportunity to be a spoiler. And maybe that might be the word, a spoiler. Um, yeah. And uh, who else we got here? Because I know we got a big field of them. And I, I guess a lot of them were just drawing blanks. And there's a story in itself, isn't it? Well, well, there's Pence. Yeah. Uh, going back to. Oh, yeah. Know, to, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that, guy. that says a lot. And yeah. the, you know, the former vice president. Uh, and I think Natalia, it, again, her point is just well taken uh-huh. that, you know, Pence of all of them has the opportunity to do the most damage and to exalt himself faster than some of the other candidates. And the question is, does he have the, uh, you know, does he have the wherewithal and the, uh, uh, and the, and the courage to step into uh, uh, to step into yes. the fight in that particular manner. I, I think, think one of, in terms of the way he speaks, it, it strikes me as somebody who has, you know, done lots of speech writing and prepping and so forth folks. Every speech that he does always seems like he's in rehearsal. This isn't the real speech. This is just Mike rehearsing the speech and we're eavesdropping yeah. on it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like overprepared, underdelivered. So Mike, Mike, the unready. Yes, and I like the way you're using your hands, or whatever you want to say. Um, so, uh, and that artifice, I think, prevents him from being perceived in the way that Bill Clinton, Tip O'Neill, and some of the other people that we spoke about are perceived. And and so that's a challenge. Now, by the way, earlier we were talking about you know where Trump is today versus when. I think tr- I think Pence rings very strongly with evangelicals and he has a chance basically to attack trump in that arena because the evangelicals are not behind trump the way they were in the beginning they know him for who he was and and now it's an embarrassment for them to rally around him the way they did before given everything that dr mike was saying earlier well there's not too much more that he can do for them uh no no you know they they've won on so many different fronts uh at the uh, on the national level the supreme court the overturn of Wade, mm-hmm. uh the retrenchment of a lot of rights around those who are perceived to be different uh the you know the the appointment of local judges uh in the district and court of appeals under trump there's not too much more right. he can you know he can really so dividing and sort of uh, moving away from him it may be a slow process but mm-hmm. there is a pathway for some of the other candidates uh, uh, to sort of cut into that 
Uh, and let me leave. Uh, uh, there's another thought, too, that I'd like to explore, and that is what our listeners think. Because as the primary season goes on, we're going to have a tendency to want to talk about events and whatnot. Mm -hmm, and I'd mm -hmm. really like to hear from some of our listeners as to what are some of the things you would like for us to uh, to mm. discuss? Um, and Chris, I'll let you uh, sort of handle that, Pete, uh, because I think we have come to uh, beat this horse uh, to the point where he's starting to kick back at us here. And I would add, by the way, as my own closing thought, Chris, that uh, last night when I was at the town meeting uh, locally here, there were a few folks who said, you know, we really enjoy this program, the more perfect union. And so and it was unsolicited feedback. So it, it's always good to recognize the fact that wonderful there are folks who you know may not want to chime in, may not be so motivated or energized to say, here's what I think, but we'd love to know what you think. But I think just the good news that people feel like, you know, we're bringing something to the microphone, you know, that's that's very rewarding. All right. Well, with that, another more perfect hour has flown by and we have to say goodbye until next week. And now if you do want to weigh in on our discussions, as Dr. Mike was saying, we would love to hear from you, uh, especially on the uh, election season opening up. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion or want to know more, please let us know. If you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. You can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online. Just visit the website, wfpr.fm. I'm Chris Wolf, and I'm sad to say this is my final broadcast as co-host, as I have to focus on business and work. It's been a real honor and a privilege to share this journey toward a more perfect union in such distinguished company. And Thank I'm rending my garments, me. I'm gnashing my teeth, and I am crestfallen officially. Oh, thank you, Pete. <laughs> so uh, the distinguished company includes uh, Dr. Natalia Linas, uh, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones. Uh, I'm going to miss your, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to miss your making us more of an international flavor too with your British accent, Chris. Your presence uh, basically has jacked up our IQs by at least another 15 points. Well, uh, I don't know. That, that's at just least. The, just the accent. You've made it all smarter. So we're going to miss you, buddy. Uh, Nick is threatening, our co-host Nick Rummersong is threatening to keep me uh, as an occasional guest. But, you know, mm -hmm. if, if if you need, I'll be happy to help. Um, also, thanks to our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy. Been a pleasure uh, talking with you all these uh, months and are you almost a year now. Our station manager, Peter J. And as I mentioned, my co-host, Nick Rummersong. Thank you for listening to A More Perfect Union. This is Franklin Public Radio. Mm -hmm.